Hello, Bizzlecast listeners. I am the Bizzle. And I'm Jedi Geeko from I Rebel. Welcome to the Star Wars Lorecast. Presented by the Bizzlecast. And may the Force be with us. No. Or do not. There is no try. Happy beach here, buddy. Come on. Copy that. We're almost there. You must have a thousand questions. Where's Ray? Go away! Jimmy, what are you doing here? When I found you, I saw what all masters live to see. Raw, untamed power. The potential of your bloodline. We need your help. We need the Jedi Order back. We need Luke Skywalker. The Bizzle! Jesse, a.k.a. The Bizzle. Oh, The Bizzle, thank you. <laughs> the Bizzle? Thank you, The Bizzle. Yeah. The Bizzle. All right, ladies and gentlemen of the Bizzlecast, welcome to a brand new episode of the Lorecast with Jedi Geek Girl. We took a week off. We were very busy. I was moving. She was doing things. But we're back now with the episode that you've all been waiting for. We've been teasing for a long time. Ahsoka Tano, Darth Maul, Obi-Wan Kenobi, the future of characters that we love from between the prequels and the sequels. We thought it was played out, Jedi Geek Girl, but the reveal of Darth Maul and the ongoing status of Ahsoka Tano makes me think Disney still has plans for these great characters. But first of all, welcome. I thank you so much for having me. I am looking, I am really looking forward to talking about this. And if our pregame is an indication of everything, it's going to be a very intense and very exciting conversation. So let let me ask you a question straight up. Guys, spoiler alert. Okay. Well, okay. Let's get business out. Let's get some business out. Solo, a Star Wars story, hasn't even made $400 million worldwide. The Force Awakens made $2 billion. Star Wars culture seems to be as healthy as ever, even with all the negativity, but just people protesting the movie doesn't make sense. And Jedi Geek Girl, as we have hinted strongly in our podcast, especially in our recent one where you talked about your, you know, Rogue One rebirth, is that, you know, Rogue One did nostalgia and did that time period in a much more effective way than Solo. And one of the big uh, themes throughout this podcast is going to be, you know, the way in which and how it's necessary that any Ahsoka Mall, etc. story be told more like Rogue One than Solo in terms of giving us new stories and even new characters with these great characters right than just filling in minor gaps here or there, telling us really new things? I agree. It has to be focused on the characters in a way that we have not seen before. It has to be a character study that we can attach to without trying to fill in a hole that needs to be filled like Solo was. Jiggy Girl, I'm not really sure where to start here. So let me start with the obvious. 
regardless of how much of a financial hit Lucasfilm thought they were going to take with Solo, and they knew that they were going to, not to this extent, but they knew they were going to take a hit. Nevertheless, they put that Maul Kira scene in very specifically. So my question is, from 1 to 10, when they decided to put Maul in as a little teaser at the end of Solo, from 1 being very little and 10 being a lot, where do you put the sort of advanced planning of this, meaning that they are consciously, whether it's the Siege of Mandalore or something else, Twin Sons, whatever, where do you see Disney, when they put Darth Maul at the end of Han Solo, they're planning in this? Is this a two or a three? Like, we'll just throw the fans a little bit of, uh, you know, some, some candy corn stuff? Or is it more a seven, eight, nine? Like, we've got major plans for this character. In your opinion... It is my opinion that Lucasfilm, when they decided to put Maul in this cameo role, it was more of like, let's put this here. If we do something with it, we have this to draw upon. If we don't, we have the books and the comics. So I would put it as a four or six at the most. I think they were like, hey, we can do something with this instead of, hey, we can do something with this, if you know what I mean. But if you want to add a character to the comics or the cartoons, you have Aura Singh appear for like three seconds in The Phantom Menace, which we didn't even comment on. And she becomes a very interesting canon character in other literature. You do not frame Kira's quote-unquote betrayal or just leaving of Han around Maul with Sam Witwer's voice in the underworld, which we know he's involved with. I just can't see Kathleen Kennedy, Matt Martin, Pablo Hidalgo, Ryan Johnson, Dave Filoni just throwing in Darth Maul like that just for shits and giggles and maybe it'll be in a comic book. I can't see it. I don't know if it'll happen, but they must, I think they must have big plans. No, no, no. So. To clarify, I think they put it there as a thread they could touch upon and expand if they want to. I don't think it was a commitment like showing Thanos at the end of the first Avengers movie or announcing the Avengers initiative at the end of Iron Man. I think it's more of a drop here. Hey, we can touch this later if we want to. We can continue this story using this because... This is still new for them. Even with four films underneath about two spinoffs, they, it is clear that they don't have a event series of films officially lined up, at least not publicly. Um, could they expand on it? Yeah, should they? The Game Heck, of Thrones, yeah. guys. But, but yeah, that's another topic. Yeah. But you know what I'm talking about. No, I'm, I'm talking about I do. introducing it as a story. But I yeah. do. But unlike Marvel who is not afraid to throw in little Easter eggs and maybe explore it, maybe not. I can't name one example of the Kathleen Kennedy regime where they threw in something like this and didn't have giant plans for it. I can't think of it in Episode 7, Episode 8, Rogue One. I can't even think of it in Rebels. I mean, they rarely throw stuff in saying, maybe we'll explore this in a big way, maybe we won't. That's my main retort. Mm. I'm not yeah, saying I'm not saying after the financial failure of Han Solo they'll be able to do it, but let's for a moment, uh, th- you know, imagine a scenario where Han Solo actually did decently in the box office. If Han Solo did decently in the box office, it seems 
unquestionable that Darth Maul was going to come back in a big way. We know they're trying to get Obi-Wan back. We know people want to see Ahsoka. It seems impossible that they're not going to make... I mean, if I'm Kathleen Kennedy and I'm towards the end of my career and I've accomplished so much in my life, been nominated for a bazillion Academy Awards, even won some, I, I, I am going whole hog, as they say, full on out siege of mandalore these characters let's be honest between the clone wars let's be honest jedi geek girl all right let's be honest i just did my episode two commentary by the way guys the fact that jedi geek girl is still talking to me right now after the episode two commentary is is a great sign because i i I, uh, um but but that being said if you look at all the prequels and all the Clone Wars, Maul, Ahsoka, Obi-Wan, Anakin, and a couple other characters are clearly the standouts and would be unbelievable in a film of their own somewhere during this time period, no? No, I completely agree. And I would like to add that it is my opinion that the Darth Maul, or excuse me, the Maul cameo serves another purpose that it introduced a beloved character back to the casual moviegoer. A lot of people don't watch the cartoon, don't know about Maul's quote-unquote resurrection, and showing Maul reintroduced him to the casual community to draw up interest for a movie. I don't think it well, you probably could have a successful Maul movie without the cameo, but it reintroduces the character without being, you know, like hit by a tidal wave. Instead, you're hit by a wave, but not like a tsunami or whatever it's called. But the fact that in the aftermath of Rogue One, while a lot of people liked it, some people still said the Vader thing was their favorite. But over time, people have come to appreciate the entire movie. But a lot of people with Han Solo, the mall thing, and you even said this in our review, the mall revelation was the biggest quote-unquote takeaway and I, I I don't know what to say about this because I know a lot of dudes who are either medium Star Wars fans or low levels, not hardcore, but like, you know, medium to low level Star Wars fans who Han Solo is their favorite character and they never even thought about seeing this movie. And so before we go on on Ahsoka and Maul and these characters we love, Jedi Girl, we have to do a postmortem here. It, it's it's inexplicable how poorly, for all the criticisms that you have, and I either share or sympathize with a lot of your criticisms, less than $400 million worldwide for a Han Solo movie with Chewie and, and Donald Glover as Lando is kind of insulting, but also confusing. Do you have any explanation for this? There are so many theories that you can dive in regarding why... Solo didn't do better. The, we can sit here and dive into each factors separately. We talked about this before, and my conclusion was people just didn't want to see it for whatever reason. Um, that is a simple explanation. I personally believe that one of the reasons, and I don't think it is a huge reason, but I do think it is a factor, is that people want original stories. They want characters that they can connect with and grow, and that is why Rogue One was so successful. That is why the sequel trilogy, who has legacy characters in it, but you're seeing new things. With Han Solo, you're telling a story about a character you already know, 
And while you can still see them develop, it's not the same as seeing new characters that you don't know nothing about and watching them grow without being restricted to a set conclusion. That's just one of the, my, one of my opinions. Okay, so here's my proposed game plan. We do post-mortem on Han Solo for a couple more minutes because I have a couple things to say as well and want your response. Then we go full-on into speculation of Maul, Ahsoka, and so forth, and then we'll see where it goes from there. That sound like a plan? Oh, yeah. Okay. So, my theory is this. Each of the three Star Wars new movies before Solo did something extremely different, right? JJ introduced a sense of fun, naturalism, you know, uh, dynamic photography, um, bringing back Star Wars in general in a way we never thought possible that did ultimately feel like the original trilogy more than the prequel trilogy, which is not an insult towards the prequel trilogy. It just was clearly what they were going for. They went too far that way, which is the main criticism. They're clearly going for original trilogy, even while working in prequel stuff. And he introduced Ray and Finn, characters we hadn't seen anything like before. Rogue One introduced a bunch of characters we literally knew nothing about with no Jedis, no lightsabers, everybody dies, tons of suicide mission stuff, uh, and it was so dark, but it was so gripping, and we had never seen that in a Star Wars movie. Plus, with the um, the way they simulated the sets and the look of the original trilogy, I don't think anyone thought that could be done, Right. Um, as we saw in Rogue One. The Last Jedi introduced a lot of dark and complicated themes from the Jedi to gender roles to the who are the good guys, who are the bad guys, to force philosophy. I mean, Ryan Johnson just introduced so many complicated and interesting themes we had never experienced, but mostly that Ray and Kylo at the moment, I, you know, I'm, I, I go back and forth between praising and making fun of the Raylo shippers. I mostly am entertained, uh, because I am fascinated by it. I think the Ray Kylo relationship is the most complicated and unpredictable heterosexual big screen relationship we have seen maybe ever or not in a long time. And Ryan took that to another level. Han Solo did not do anything that different as those three movies. That's my main theory. Your response. I would totally agree with you on your point. I think that, like I previously mentioned, Solo is not at the top of my list, but it should have done better just because it is the film that a lot of people wanted and no it didn't do anything fresh it it didn't do anything quote unquote new but it was still fun and enjoyable and you know what would you have done what would you have done because we know that you love donald glover and you loved him in the movie i know that you liked aaron reich more than you expected the same way all of us did what would you have done if you could have made two or three changes to the solo movie as both a Star Wars fan or a filmmaker, what would you have done? I wouldn't have crammed in as much that was in the film. But it's two hours and 20 minutes. I mean, no, how no, much no, longer? No, 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 no. Let me, let me, okay. What I'm trying to say is, is you have Han Solo from a young youth 
all the way up to the castle run, and you have this and this and this and this and this, and this as a check mark. I agree. It, it seemed like it, it covered so much in one yep. film that it was unneeded, mm-hmm. in my opinion. I think what you could have done is you could have actually had characters that were a part of his story. Maybe you started from the Imperial Academy or whatever, and you have him grow with these characters like you do Rogue One because, yes, you have Kia, and he does reconnect with Kia. Oh, I love but her. That's, that, that's the, you know, you jump into that relationship. You have Beckett, but he isn't there for the first part. I think, like I said, there was so much. So what I would do is I would have him surrounded with characters that he expanded upon. I think it would have been better if it would have been split in two films. Um just so you had more time with the characters and the characters' relationships. Um, I think, like, for example, Beckett's crew, you know, they were gone just like that, that you didn't have enough time to really care for them because they're here and then they're gone. Yeah, you know what it, I'm saying? So, it wasn't exactly like the Rogue One deaths at the end, that's for sure, yeah. Exactly. So what I would have done is I would have not crammed as much mm-hmm. into it. I mean, you could have still told the same story, what? but... What I, I I've said this before. I'm going to go even more radically. What if the entire movie was the Kessel Run, but every five or ten minutes you got a flashback, and we slowly got caught up in his yes. life to the yes. Kessel Run? Yeah, that that, that would have been. Oh my god, that that would have been so beautiful. Like they yeah. literally start with the card game. And then they start the run, and then you go back to Kira and him on Corellia, and then they go back to the Kessel Run, and then you go to him and Woody on the planet, yes. and then you go to the Kessel Run. I, that would have been brilliant. I don't, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're getting me worked up here because that is so exciting. It's new, it's fresh. We didn't see that type of storytelling in Star Wars. It would have been different, unique if you had that set to this, you know, like. A story going on in the present yeah. when he's playing against Lando mm-hmm. and you see that game escalate and while it's escalating it's cutting back to the castle run and how they get together and finally yeah oh, oh my god yeah in what are two of the most affecting scenes in the first three of the new movies one Ray remember being dropped off on the planet by her alcoholic parents or whatever um in screaming as Uncar Plot grabbed her arm and uh, Jin remembering back to uh, the end of Catalyst when Krennic was trying to keep him on the on Curasan. It was right before they, you know, they ran away and 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 Galen, you know, that that whole flashback with Krennic and Galen and Lyra and little Jin. People love those scenes. I feel like you could build an entire film around those scenes, especially with Han Solo, which is all about memory and nostalgia. I am. Um- I, like I said, you got me worked up because you you nailed you just nailed it. I think that would have been the best way to go. Oh, this is why we got to write together. We got to write together because I got the narrative touch and you got the lore master touch. I feel like we really got some. For once, yeah, we're actually on the same page on this. But yeah, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But yeah. Well, actually, Jedi Geek Girl, for the sake of me writing the actual fucking book... And not going too complicated with my first one. I'm thinking of, again, BizzleCast listeners, if you've been listening, you know I'm trying to work on a Ahsoka Obi-Wan book. Um, there could just be a Sith Temple on Tatooine somewhere, you know? I mean, they don't have to do World Between Worlds. There's a million things that could be going on in Tatooine that Ahsoka and Obi-Wan could do in sort of a novella-length adventure, right? 
Yeah, that that would definitely be really interesting. So, okay, we're about to get to them. I think, uh, okay, uh, let me be perfectly honest. The the constant delaying of the Ewan McGregor Obi-Wan announcement does not make me think it's not happening. It makes me think they are trying to do something. I'm not saying Siege of Mandalore, but they are trying to do something epic involving other major characters, old and new. And so they're not trying to rush it. And again, I totally buy into Kathleen Kennedy's vision here. But Jedi Geek Girl, you have to admit... If Kathleen Kennedy and Dave Filoni are going to go down shooting in flames, there's no way they're not going to try and get Ahsoka into the live-action movies. It's impossible. It's impossible. Yeah, I can definitely see them trying to make sure that she is introduced in live-action film, for sure. Yeah, because she is so important and such a revolutionary character that, yeah, I can definitely see it as a possibility. Okay, let me me be more specific here and more um, direct. So I talk about how, you know, uh, as much as I love all the new movies, I'd feel robbed if Rogue One went away. Like, I need Rogue One to watch the original trilogy now. I feel like we, it, in our Star Wars lifetimes, it doesn't have to be next year or the year after, if we don't get an amazing live-action Ahsoka, I don't feel like we will be getting the full Star Wars experience. That's just how I feel. I can agree with you 100%. And... I will go upon that a little further, and I will say that we need a live-action film that is really, really, really focused in the prequel era, and I think Ahsoka is the best way to do that. And the best way to do that is with the Siege of Mandalore story, because I don't think there is any other story that has that sense of epicness that you could do with her to bring her into the universe, the film universe. Could will you indulge me for a little bit? You can shoot this down if you want. Yeah, go for it. My episode two commentary. Did you think I was being unfair at any point? You please feel free to criticize me. Um, um, no, I think you had points that were valid. Uh, you they seemed like you didn't have there was uh, there was moments where. I always look for the positive in things like that when it comes to Attack of the Clones, it, there are a lot of flaws in it, but I choose to focus on what I enjoyed. I, I thought you were a little bit more negative, but you had a lot of valid criticism. But like on Phantom Menace, I was 95% positive. No, you were, you know, yeah. I'm trying to figure out where you want me to go with this. Okay, where I want you to go with this is the following question. I think probably the smartest thing I said in that commentary, and look, I am the first one to say, I just don't like Attack of the Clones as a film fan. Forget Star Um, Wars fan. I I love the world building in it. Geonosis, everything, the clones, blah, blah, blah. Especially with the Clone Wars. Everything makes sense. But I think the smartest thing I said was, the main difference between Anakin in Episode 2 and Anakin in Episode 3 slash The Clone Wars is Anakin in The Clone Wars in Episode 3, I can totally imagine training a Padawan like Ahsoka. I cannot imagine 
Hayden Christensen, Anakin from episode two, training a Padawan like Ahsoka. That's the really, in terms of all the canon, even more than the Padme weirdness, the thing that makes the least sense to me. True, I can totally agree with that. Um, But for Devil's Advocate, the Clone Wars TV show takes place at least a year after uh, Attack of the Clones, and war does a lot to a person. Yeah, but Hayden Christensen in episode three is three to four years older than Hayden Christensen in episode two. So it's, you know, it's like you talk, you talk about how Natalie is supposed to be 14 in The Phantom Menace, but she's actually 17. And so she still comes off as 17 with a nine year old boy. I don't care that she's supposed to be 14. I know that she's 17. Just like I know Hayden's much older and more mature in Revenge of the Sith. What I'm saying is, is the character goes through three years of war, and that changes a person. That makes a person grow up. And while you cannot see the Attack of the Clones Anakin trained a Padawan, you can definitely see a Anakin that's been fighting for at least a year be so well refined that he is able to take a Padawan. So the part where I thought I was going to lose you for good was when I just straight up called George Lucas a bad director. <laughs> I was like, oh no. Oh no. I have well, opened the can of worms. People are going to destroy me. Well, I think it is proven, you know, that, that it's a valid criticism. Uh, I think his strength is in the ability to create a world. I think he is, I'm going to throw an analogy out for you that you're not going to know what I'm talking about but he's like Vince Russo he is so creative with coming up with ideas for a story that sometimes he doesn't take the time out to put it all together and be like okay does this all work does this all make sense and sometimes Mm -hmm. you need somebody to like the Return of the Jedi and Empire Strikes Back you need someone to filter that you need someone to put all the pieces together yeah, George Lucas create the pieces, but you need you need a puzzle master to mm-hmm. put them in together, and that's mm-hmm. what the problem was with the prequels. Is you have all these good ideas. If you look at the story, just the story of the prequels, it's a very good story, but the execution was horrible, and not all the dots were connected because the story wasn't refined. I just think if you take out Attack of the Clones and put in Clone Wars in that place. It's brilliant. I think if if episode two is episode two, the Clone Wars, and everything else in episode one, episode three is basically the same, I think it's brilliant. That's why I resent episode two, because one and three are so fun and great, especially over time, and the Clone Wars is so great. It makes episode two hard to stomach, because to me, it does not feel... And I'll stop harping on this after this, but to me, episode two does not feel like a Star Wars movie. It feels like a Star Trek movie. It feels like a Doctor Who movie. It's so weird. It's so colorful. It's so over the top. It doesn't feel like a restrained Star Wars movie to me. I would I would like to uh, say one more thing about it. And what I like about Tactic Clones is I, one of the things I really like about George Lucas is... Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith is we see the beginning of the war and the end of the war. And while you do miss out on that middle chapter, and going back to your theory, that's why the prequel trilogy should have been the beginning, the middle, and the end of the Clone Wars, 
I, I do appreciate that we got to see the beginning of it. Was the execution kind of poor? Yeah. Was there logic that was kind of missing? Yeah. But you still have that concept of the beginning of the Clone Wars. And if we went straight from one to three and you have the Clone Wars, it's like, okay, how did the Clone Wars get started? You know what I'm saying? Okay. So I'm going to name a bunch of characters and you'll tell me whether they're more complex, less complex, or equally complex in an interesting way in the Clone Wars. Okay? Padme. Yeah, obviously. Anakin. Obviously. Obi-Wan. Obviously. Yoda. Obviously. Mace Window. Obviously. So this is what I'm saying. So the big question, Jedi Geek Girl, I'm struggling with, I don't have an answer to, I'm not trying to be a blowhard here, I'm just being totally honest, is did George Lucas just need to experiment a bunch before he came across the Clone Wars sort of formula uh, uh, for his characters? Because it came across so beautifully in the Clone Wars and then Rebels and hopefully in the new live action movies. I don't understand why he couldn't nail it in the movies. Okay, so number one, Attack of the Clones is a two and a half hour movie, roughly. The Clone Wars is a hundred and what, twenty episodes of twenty minutes apiece. You do the math. And then you look at the prequel trilogy. What is one of my problems that we just got done talking about Han Solo? You cram too much in one period of time that you missed out on that character development. So in the prequel trilogy, you have Anakin as a young boy. You have him as a Padawan. Mm-hmm. And then you have him as a Jedi Knight. Mm-hmm. Where is that time to develop as a character in three movies that span 15 years? Mm-hmm. That is the flaw that you were able to do with the Clone Wars. You were able to develop a character because you had a weekly 20-minute show, yeah. five and a half seasons. No, I agree. I agree. And, and look, I don't even like all the Clone Wars or even many of the Clone Wars episodes, but the great ones are undeniably great. Um, and the arcs, the great arcs. But the fact, the, the fact that I remembered... It, it, as you heard in the commentary, I remembered the Ahsoka getting assigned library duty, but I don't even remember some of the more like epic battle episodes. It just shows what I like about Clone Wars and ultimately why I like Rebels better. I like smaller character-based stories than big, giant battles necessarily. Um, and I love Ahsoka, so I tend to remember her episodes. I, even though the episode with her and the little kids and the kyber crystals got annoying, I still watch every single second of it because I love her. Um, and that is why, ultimately, I want to throw the op- opening salvo here. It has to be done right with the right cast and the right director, but I don't think the sort of exhaustion over the uh, too much nostalgia in Han Solo would carry over to Ahsoka because she is such a dynamic and appealing character. I would I would agree, and not only that, but yeah, her story is known is well known, but. There are a lot of people, a lot less people who know her story than Han Solo. But can you imagine seeing a commercial? If you're a young girl and you like Ray and you like Jen and you like Rose and you like Paige and so forth. And suddenly you see live action Ahsoka on an ad for a Star Wars movie. 
just the imagery and the voicing and so forth, I feel like you would be so pumped up. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, yeah. without a doubt. Do you think they undermarketed Kira and underplayed Kira and Han Solo and that was a mistake? I do. I do. Um, I, I think one of the problems that Lucasfilm has right now is when they, it comes to their characters, they don't tell you a lot about that character until after the film comes up. Like, for example, Rose. You know, her book and her story came out the day of The Last Jedi. I think it would have done the character a lot better if the book was released before because then you would, people would be familiar with her or tell more about the character instead of waiting until like six months before to say, oh, hey, here's this character. You know what I'm saying? I, I'm going to be perfectly honest. Should I get girl? We talked about this off mic, so I don't feel bad saying it. Everything having to do with the comic books and the books is not the problem with Star Wars. Uh, because the vast majority of people who see the movies only see the movies. I mean, even Rebels is only watched by a large minority of fans, not a majority of fans. Um, and so, what, yeah. Go ahead. What I'm saying is that they have to do a better job of introducing these characters to a wider audience. To That's make what I'm them saying. Ahsoka is, is a straight-up intro. Ahsoka, because of her connection mm-hmm. to Obi-Wan and Anakin and Maul, you see this Togurta and her outfit and her look with the backwards lightsabers fighting Maul in a commercial. People will be like, I'm buying my tickets right now. That's the thing. We're talking about new stories. To the vast majority of Americans, Ahsoka is a new story. And so it actually works great because it appeals to the super fans, but also to the majority of Star Wars casual fans who don't know about Ahsoka or don't know much about her. And you see her in a commercial with Obi-Wan, Anakin, and Maul, and people are like, oh, I'm so in on this. That's my theory. All you need to do for a Siege of Mandalore film to really get people worked up is 10 seconds. All you need to do is have the screen is stuck, it pops up to Maul, and he says, it's time. He ignites his lightsaber. And you cut to Ahsoka, she says something, lights up the uh, her lightsaber, and then you, you have to have Siege of Mandalore come up. And right there, that would get people right invested because you're hitting people that like Maul, you like Ahsoka, you're getting young, you're getting old, and you're getting... Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. So, I feel like while we're talking about Han Solo, we need to do a little bit of a post-mortem on The Last Jedi. If you're okay with that. Uh, yeah. Alright, Jay Geek Girl. So, yeah. Post-mortem of Last Jedi. First rule, we're cutting out the idiots, Okay. We're not going to talk anything about the idiots' criticism of Last Jedi. We are talking about people who loved it, people who liked it, people who didn't love it, but who are Star Wars fans and who are respectful of it and respectful of the actors and respectful of the performance and the material and so forth. But there is no doubt that while Rogue One may have slightly overperformed, Jedi, uh, Last Jedi may have slightly underperformed. There's lots of reasons for this. And I want to ask you, ask you from a purely objective standpoint, because let's be honest, I think Star Wars fans are split between 
The Last Jedi is the best of the new movies, and Rogue One is the best of the new movies. That's the impression I'm mostly getting from people, which I think is interesting. As I've said, and we've talked about, there's a direct line from Empire to Rogue One to Last Jedi to Revenge of the Sith in terms of being dark and artistic and so forth. So I'm all about it, and I rewatched Last Jedi last night and freaking loved it. Uh, That initial pose scene is so spectacular with Leia and everything. Um, but for the non-stupid fans, for the fans who liked but didn't love Last Jedi, who really liked Han Solo more, liked Rogue One more, liked Force Awakens more, is this just a taste thing at this point? I mean, is this just a result of the fact that we want our Star Wars movies to feel different from the Marvel movies, which all kind of feel the same? And so we're just inevitably going to get a split opinion, and that's maybe a good thing? I think I think you, you have these people who... I think the last Jedi, we, we talked about Han Solo's problem being too familiar, too winky at the camera, too many nods at Han Solo's past. The last Jedi, from an objective point of view, went totally the other direction. It was a Star Wars film like no other Star Wars film that we have got. And I think that turned people off. And I think those people are valid. They have a very critical point. It took me 24 hours, 48 hours to come to terms with it. And really enjoyed that it was so different to new and new fresh. But it was Star Wars like we didn't have never ever seen before. Even in Legends, we have never really got a story like that. And some that doesn't work for some people because some people back to my problems with Han Solo that didn't work for me because of what I like in a storage film and that isn't really what was it a good film? Yeah, would I would I sit down and watch it? Yeah, if you tell me are we going to go see a movie, I say let's go but it's not what I would prefer and I think people had that same conclusion with The Last Jedi. I think you know, they didn't really care for it because it was so different and because maybe it was so I don't want to use the word emotional but so heavy why is everything in the future so heavy, Marty? Um, but anyway, <laughs> so Time I think travel that, and Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, back to the future <laughs> one. Yeah, but anyway, I think that was that. I think that is a very objective criticism. I think that's why it turned off a lot of fans. Is because it was so different, so unique, and so fresh. And I think if it was done in a way that wasn't connected to something that we already knew and was so emotionally invested in, I think it would have connected with the fans a lot better. Mm -hmm. And it's why I'm really looking forward to Ryan Johnson trilogy, because then he will be let loose, and perhaps people can be like, oh, I see his storytelling now. I see. But because it is a saga film, because it featured people that we all love and enjoy, even recent characters such as Paul and Ray, I think there was... Yeah, so objectively speaking, it was so different that is why it turned off people. Okay, fact number one. Both fans and critics were not huge fans of Empire Strikes Back when it first came out. Uh, and it's now considered one of the greatest movies of all time. Just saying. Just saying, people. Have some perspective. Have some perspective. Two. Here's the split, Jedi Geek Girl. Whether you liked or loved the last Jedi. And I would say I really, really liked it. I, I, I don't know if I love it right at the second, but I really, 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 really liked it. But 
whether you liked it or loved it, you understand that what was coming from Ryan Johnson's heart and mind was trying to take the Star Wars universe in a bold new direction that we needed to go. And while we all might not agree with all of his choices, the difference between the idiots and the people who just have mixed feelings about it is the extent to which we realize that it was coming from not only a good place, but a place of like one of the ultimate all-time Star Wars fans in Ryan Johnson, who was trying to get us out of this cage of telling the same story over and over again. We, we definitely had to go a new and fresh direction. I mean, are there things that perhaps he could have done differently? That is up to your interpretation. But we had to go a new and different direction. We did not have to get the same story retold over and over and over again because that's not interesting. You know what I'm saying? But do you think it did ultimately tell the same story in the end with Luke Skywalker's powers? You know, I'm, I'm saying this in a good way in that it gave... I think the problem is it took so long for the fan If Han Solo was too much fan service from beginning to end, Last Jedi took too long for some people for the fan service to kick in, maybe. I'm just trying to hypothesize and understand because, you know, a a B-plus or A-minus Star Wars movie for me is still one of the greatest movies ever. I'm talking about The Last Jedi, you know? And so I can't totally understand. I'm trying to understand it. No, I I completely agree with you. I think you have a valid point. I think one of the problems with The Last Jedi is if Hansel is too connected, if it's too naughty, The Last Jedi is not enough. Yes, we got Dark Sidious mentioned. Yeah, there was the thrill back to the Emperor's throne room, but there was no, how do I put this, connective tissue to Lucas' saga like Han Solo to Mm. Legends canon the original trilogy, the prequel trilogy, and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. I think that is a, I think that is a very, very valid, valid criticism. Is okay. it one that I agree with? I have to stop and think, but yeah, I think that is a very valid criticism. All right, All right Jagged Girl. So here we are going into the future of Star Wars. Okay. Yes, we're here. So, the, for me, the two coolest things in the Star Wars Battlefront Two campaign which I'm not a giant fan of, but the story, there is some cool stuff, okay? There was two two things that were particularly cool. One was very specific, which was the just the scene of Luke Skywalker on the planet converting the Imperial guy just by talking to him, which I, I think that's why we need the Jon Favreau series. Even if Luke isn't a major character, we do need to see early idealistic Luke post-Vader just turning people by talking to them because that's what Luke does, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and I, I, I that's... I guess I think that's the divide. I always say this. The divide is, as much as I love the skiff and the fight against Jabba and Return of the Jedi, it's Luke throwing down the lightsaber at the end of Return of the Jedi that I love. And I think the schism between fans of old school fans of Luke is those who love him just murdering people and force choking people versus those of us who realize that him throwing down the lightsaber and almost giving up his life for the love of his dad is way more powerful and cool at the end of return of the Jedi. I think that's the schism. I don't know if you agree. No, I, 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 Oh my God. I agree with you. 100%. Mm. That is what makes Luke 
so amazing and so freaking awesome. Not the fact that he basically defeats Vader. No, 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 no. What makes him so awesome? What makes him so iconic? What makes him so lovable? It's the fact that he throws away his weapon, laying down his life for his father. It is through his act of no violence that Vader is redeemed. It is through his act of defiance of no more, no more violence, no more cycle. I'm not going to kill you that ends the Empire. Plus, you know, the Death Star blowing up. But you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, the reason it's great to see the Jedi kick ass in the first two prequel movies is just because we don't normally see the Jedi kick ass. Um, but and, and that's the problem with the prequel Jedi is that they're quick to violence. And you were talking about this in your Attack of the Clones, about the Jedi are supposed to be a keeper of the peace, and here they are going to war. And that's what the prequel trilogy is about. The Jedi is not what the Jedi is supposed to be in the prequel era. This is an example of what Jedi should not be. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Keepers of the peace are the Jedi. I mean... Not soldiers, right? I mean, that's exactly what... Is it Yoda that says that? I mean... It's Qui-Gon. Yeah, Qui-Gon. But but what's great is, even though Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan are murdering droids throughout Phantom Menace, they're never enjoying it. And they're, they're always skeptical. And, you know, I, I think what's so interesting is how blind... Okay, all right. Here... I wish I had theme music for the lore cat. Like every time we hit something, there's something we need to work on JGG is like when we hit like a major lore point, I need like five seconds of music. I don't know what to use. Exactly. Oh yeah. yeah. I do it at my podcast too. I've been working yeah. on it, but yeah, I, I agree 100%. Yeah. Um, but, uh, here's, here's lore cast. So obviously, you know, and you heard me talk about the giant Sith virgins on Coruscant. And how that must have been affecting Yoda and Mace Windu and everybody. It didn't affect Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan was constantly arguing for more caution about everything. But he was too attached to Anakin at that point. But, but, but what I, the, the other smart thing, I brought up two smart things, I guess, in, in the Attack of the Clothes. I think the other smart thing I brought up was not only is the Sith Temple Virgins screwing with the Jedi, but it's actually feeding Palpatine's power um, in, uh, in, in that movie. Because he suddenly uses, in Revenge of the Sith, he suddenly uses his lightning powers all of a sudden, right? So he could be drawing from that. How much of an effect do you think that's having on what's going on in Coruscant? I think it, 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 I do think it has an effect because I don't know if this is the same way in canon, but in Legend, one of the reasons why Yoda hit out on Dagobah was because of the dark side uh, excuse me, of the virgins in the forest, it camouflaged him, so he wasn't being able to be detected. So if Palpatine resides around a Sith virgin, it covers his presence. It makes him a little bit more undetectable. And not only is he in the area, but 
in an untold story episode, series of episodes of the Clone Wars, he actually goes down there. He actually, I think, worships down there. And in the untold episode, he actually had a unseen encounter with Ahsoka. So I think it is very relevant. I don't think that they had the opportunity to expand on the, upon the story, but I think it is a very important detail that I would like more detail on officially. Are you ready to go on a little bit of a history uh, uh, nerd cruise with me right now? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. All right. Here we go. All right, guys. So it's important at this point to point out that when Disney bought Lucasfilm, they decided to make all their new stories in all formats, what they call canon and everything else legends. But they have been drawing heavily from legends on all levels, not just books or comic books, but also in the movies. And they haven't ruled out what a lot of people love, which is the Knights of the Old Republic, which was an amazing comic book series, which is an amazing series of video games. The Mandalorian Wars, the Sith Empire, the beginning of the Sith, uh, lots of things. Malachor, which we hear about. Jaggy Girl, I have all sorts of windows open in uh, the Wikipedia right now. But um, really quickly, just to get this discussion started... You have to admit they've done a pretty good job of working in some legend stuff, even though maybe we want more of it worked in. Oh, I would agree with you 100%. And before we go any further, I want to state a disclaimer that while Lucasfilm did classify things as legend and canon, that doesn't mean that legend stories don't have applications in canon. That doesn't mean that they didn't objectively happen. They could have still happened. And what the rabbit hole that we are going to go down can be applicable even though it's quote-unquote legend we can still talk about it and apply it to the canon until the canon says otherwise so let's do this you know what this would be a great exercise let's start with the prequels and what yoda and them say in the prequels about the sith and the jedi and work backwards and see if the legends fits in with the mythology that we get there does that make sense it does okay so when Yoda starts sensing stuff in the prequels, he says, oh, the Sith haven't really been around for a thousand years or thousands of years. But we know that's not true, probably, right? Oh, no. In, in Legend, we're talking here. That is definitely not true, true, because Plagueis was around training. No, that is canon, too, because Plagueis was training Palpatine. And obviously, you had Plagueis master before him and before them they were in the shadows so the sith were always around they just wasn't they weren't prevalent but you fast forward as much as rebels season two and three and malachor as a major sith temple and weapon um having to do with the mandalorian wars i mean all of this stuff technically comes from legends but they've been talking about it in all of the literature visual and otherwise yeah they they have uh they haven't refined it as much in canon but they are definitely drawing upon it they are definitely connecting to the dots and it'll be interesting to see where they go but it's important to see where we came to see where we're going And I think that's true in life in general. That's a good point. Nerd a moment. 
Uh, the galaxy of Star Wars, a galaxy far, far away, is made up of 400 billion stars and 3.2 million habitable systems. That's pretty cool. Um, and there's actually uh, other r- rotating galaxies around this galaxy, whatever. Mm-hmm. Here's my big question. With all of the amazing writing and the world building they did in the first few Knights of the Old Republic games and in the Knights of the Old Republic comic book series, I don't know if they can do better in a rewrite of it. So either they ignore it and don't deal with that time period or they draw heavily from you know, Moloch and Revan and Mandalore and so forth. Right. And just go with it because they're not going to get better storytelling than what we've got. And I'm not a legends hardcore guy, but in terms of the old Republic, it's not going to get better than that. Yeah. It's definitely a very tough luck not to try to figure out. I haven't read a lot of the Knights of the old Republic, so I don't have a, valid opinion outside of the Knights of the really? Republic video game. Yeah, yeah, I did. They yeah, I never really it never wow. felt like Star Wars. it never really felt like Star Wars. I feel like I have a step up on you for like the first time ever having read yeah, that stuff. But, <laughs> yeah, but the same token, I'm like thirteen books into Legends in the last year. How many Legends book have you read? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, I, I probably read about 13 when I grew up, but not since then. So I'm not going to argue against you on that one for sure. But yeah, I am definitely looking forward to exploring that air because it is highly criti- it's highly critically acclaimed and it is beloved by so many people that I'm looking forward to exploring it. And I think you may be right on that, but I have to look into the universe myself and draw my own conclusion. Can I, can I just read a little bit of this lore? Um, of course, yeah. I hope if you're sticking with us this long, you're into me reading a little bit of this lore, because there's a reason they brought Thrawn back, right? I mean, there's a reason Legends characters are coming back, because some of these authors had brilliant, brilliant ideas. So, the Jedi Civil War, also known as the Second Sith War, or the Old Republic Insurrection, or the Moloch War, by the Mandalorians, known as the War of the Star Forge, oh, that's such a great name, was a devastating conflict that began with the Jedi Knight Revan from the Old Republic, led the force of the Galactic Republic to victory in the Mandalorian Wars, founding his own Sith Empire and declaring himself the Dark Lord of the Sith. This was 4,000 years ago, guys. With the aids of veterans from the Mandalorian Wars and a host of dark Jedi converts that had served with him, the former Jedi hoped to take over the Republic in anticipation of a greater threat posed by a Sith Empire that lurked within the unknown regions of the galaxy. So the Sith is afraid of the greater Sith in the unknown regions of the galaxy. Jedi Geek Girl, this is everything we want from a cosmological standpoint in Star Wars. Why don't you just run with this? It, 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 it. Now, you are reading that, and doesn't that sound familiar? Because right now in canon, there is a lot of emphasis on the unknown region. Thrawn. No, you, no, you had Snoke, you mm-hmm. have Thrawn, mm-hmm. you have the First Order, you have all these connective dots. I truly believe that we are on the verge of something 
climactic and huge. With the, you know, these are hints that they that they're not just throwing out there. And like I said before, looking at where we came is a good indication of where we're going. So, mm-hmm. can I give you a historical um, comparison here? Yeah, go for it. So you know, we talk about how with the shiny ships and the you know the overconfidence, the way that. The prequel, Old Republic, felt like the Roman Empire, mm-hmm. yes. which was based on the Greek Empire, mm-hmm. which was based on the Persian Empire, you know, which is based on older and older empires. And it's interesting to think that even in the prequel era, when it seems like the good guys have all the technology and all the power and everything else, interesting to think whether that is actually a derivative state from what used to be. And the fact that the Jedi have fallen into such a state of denial and rejection and apathy and non-believing and so forth, that the Sith have been around all this time. I mean, I have to ask, even though these... Okay, uh, okay, guys, I'm, I'm asking you just for the next few minutes, listeners, to accept some of these legend stuff about the old Knights of the Old Republic into semi-canon, just to ask some questions. So, with Yoda being a thousand years old, how can he possibly believe that there haven't been Sith around for thousands of years? I don't understand. So, number one, he, at the time of... The Phantom Menace, he's not a thousand. He's like 800 and something. So, he came so after the Sith. Yeah. I, and I think that I remember reading a story, reading something about, I think he might have fought one, but I don't think that was confirmed in Legend. But no, um, Yoda is younger than the last time the Jedi encountered the Sith. Going off, you know, time period. He said, the Sith has been dead for, the, the Sith has been extinct for a thousand years. Yoda is 850, 820, so. Go on. So there's no way that he would encounter a Sith, you know what I'm saying? So it, 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 it's very easy for him to believe that the Sith are extinct because, how do I put this in real terms or whatever like that? It's like, you are born after something happened that you don't know what it was like afterwards. You know what I'm saying? But do you think if Yoda hadn't been <laughs> entrapped in the political capital of the galaxy and the giant Sith virgins that he'd be thinking the same way? It seems like his mind is clouded extremely irrationally to me. The Sith, you know, didn't come to Coruscant until, like, Palpatine and Plagueis. So, if they were far enough away and, you know, in enriched in the dark side of the forest, they could have been hidden just like Yoda was on Dagobah. You know what I'm saying? So, I can, I can buy that they didn't detect the Sith. Oh, here's the perfect example. All right, you ready? Here we go. Yeah. Okay. The Unknown Regions, Jedi Geek Girl, also known as Unknown Space or Unknown Territories, a region of the galaxy located in the galactic area beyond the Outer Rim, largely unexplored. At the time of the Galactic Civil War, the Unknown Regions was regarded as an unexplored region that was separated from the galaxy by a labyrinth of solar storms, rogue magnetospheres, black holes, gravity wells, aka time travel, and things far stranger. By the time of the Battle of Jakku, 
Imperial computers at the Jakku Observatory had found the safe through safe route through this maze involved taking multiple short hyperspace jump like the Kessel Run, blah 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 blah. Which brings me back to the thing I was trying to get to, which was the main thing I loved about Battlefront 2, which I know started in Shattered Empire and was talked about in the Aftermath books, which is the notion that the Emperor was looking beyond the galaxy that we know. And there was other, you know, whether they were virgences or whatever that he was seeing, he had observatories looking beyond what was going on, which makes the emperor really cool, but also makes the first order make even less sense because the first order just seems like a more driven, psychotic version of the empire. Whereas the original plan of Operation Cinder was to put much smarter people like Admiral Sloan in place to explore the unknown regions, I believe. Uh, and so I, I hope they explore that, even though they haven't so far. Go ahead. Oh, I agree with you 100%. I think they should explore that. I think they can draw upon that. And they have a lot to work with when it comes to the unknown regions and that story. And I I do agree with you with them like dropping all these hints about the unknown regions and the first order coming out of that yeah it doesn't make a lot of sense unless unless something happened such as somehow they were weakened maybe Snoke is not this brilliant person maybe he's a criminal of that area where he isn't the worst that can come out of there. He actually, he's probably could be the least of it. So imagine this, imagine the empire retreats to the outer, the the unknown regions and they're building up this force. And then they have an encounter with another race, another species, and they have a huge war that tears them down. And finally you have this old naive man not naive you have this old man come in and be like hey i can help you i can be the heel that you need and he's basically a con man so basically he took over what will become the first order but because he is a con man the first order is not what it should have been so i i i don't know you you got me thinking I, i think your point is valid but there's many ways that they can explain it. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. We're about to dive beyond just Star Wars lore into sci-fi lore. You ready for this? Yeah, go for it. Okay, so one of the greatest sci-fi tropes that goes back to Ray Bradbury and Arthur C. Clarke with 2001 and Isaac Asimov with Foundation and so forth is that as old and ancient as our ancestors are, there were ancients operating in the universes, in the galaxies, far before us, billions of years. Um, if you've seen the movie Interstellar or Contact or movies like this where or even Stargate, where they set up transportation devices so far before we came... I haven't been able to find the exact article online, but I know I've read this. It may be in legend, but it's heavily implied that there was a race of ancient people, whether they were human or not, 
in the galaxy before the Star Wars galaxy came to fruition. And they could have easily been the ones who set up or uh, initiated the world between the worlds and various hyperspace lanes and, and so forth. But that's such a Star Trek thing. I, I wonder if they want to explore it. And, and I will ask you, as someone who loves Star Wars and Doctor Who, but isn't a huge Star Trek fan, whether there's sort of a fine line between what works in Star Wars and what works in Star Trek. I mean, I won't be, I, I won't be insulted. I, I love Star Trek. I love Star Wars way more than Star Trek. I love Star Trek, but I, I, I'm honestly curious because I think Ryan Johnson and some of these other, and Filoni, uh, ha, have been seeding some very Star Trek-esque things, but I don't know if they're going to fully explore them. I, I can agree with you that there's a fine line between them. I think that you can have it like a little bit of like, The Last Jedi you mentioned has touches of Babylon, you said five? Babylon 5? Yeah, I didn't watch Babylon 5, but yeah, that's the show. Okay, um, I think you can, you can dabble in it, but I don't think you want to go heavy into it because otherwise you lose the essence of what Star Wars is. And I think that's one of the things that the Clone Wars did so well is you had an episode that felt like a monster movie without feeling like it wasn't Star Wars. You had an episode that was like a brotherhood of British uh, in war that didn't feel like Star Wars. And you can cross these lines. And you can cross these lines through a little bit. But you don't want to go too much into it. You need to have a line. Okay, let's get more specific. What is it about Mandalore that's so important? Specifically in both canon and legends. According to the site, both canon and legends, three to... F- Somewhere between three and five thousand years ago, there was a major series of conflicts between the Mandalorians and the Jedi Order. What is it about the Mandalorians with House Vizsla and the Darksaber and so forth that make them so powerful and sort of good guys and bad guys, depending on, on the time period? I would look at it this way. And like I said, I'm not so familiar with them. It's like Athens and Sparta. The Mandalorians, their mm. culture is based around aggression and war and conquest, where the Jedi, they can fight these things, but they are more artistic and art-driven and more mindful and spiritual. And so that's what I would say. That would basically says that the appeal of Mandalore is that it's basically Sparta. And so the, uh, the Republic of the Persians, that's, that's really interesting. But still, with jetpacks and guns, it doesn't seem like they can keep up with the with the Jedi necessarily. Oh no, they 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 can give Jedi a run for their money. They they, they are well trained in combat and are equipped to fight a Jedi. That doesn't mean they're going to win like nine out of ten, but they can give some Jedi a run for their money. So, c- can I give you an uh, an example about the sort of fictional history stuff? Uh, I think is instructive, which has to do with Tolkien. Beep, beep, before you do, yes. before you do, I want to touch upon one more thing. Yeah. If you remember in Rebel Season 4, mm-hmm. when Kanan is training Sabine with the Darksaber, her, one of, she has something given to her by, I forget what his name is, 
and he mentioned, I think he mentioned about Hollywood to fight the Jedi, and he she used a trick, uh, trick on Ezra to gain the upper advantage. I think that was a glimpse in how Mandalore was able to go toe-to-toe with the Jedi, as an example. Interesting. Interesting. And I know you don't enjoy it, but we saw an Attack of the Clones that Jango Fett, who I I think officially is not Amanda Loyan, was able to fight against a Jedi. Well, yeah. I mean, the fucking Riot Baton, you can also fight against the fucking Jedi. So, I don't I, I'm, about it. I, I'm just saying that we see evidence of it. That's what. That's all I'm saying. Okay. You know what we're doing? Adeloy Cast, presented well, by w- Bizzle Cast. Well, starring Jedi Geek Girl from I Rebel. Dawn Street. We're going to we're going to Legends. We're going to Legends right here because I'm sick of lack of information. So here we go. <laughs> here we go. Okay. The galaxy, four hundred billion stars, a hundred billion star system, hundred twenty thousand light years across. Initially, was home to only five to twenty million century uh, million sentient only quote-unquote five to 20 million sentient species species 20 million species and over 100 quadrillion sentient beings lived in 1 billion star systems okay mm-hmm. okay it's approximately 13 billion years old which fits perfectly with our own galaxy which is about that whole it revolves around the galactic center a supermassive black hole which is equal to 4 million suns. Again, very similar to our own galaxy. And it has spiral arms the way that our galaxy does. Of the galaxy's 400 billion stars, around 180 billion of them were orbited by a system of planets. And they go through all the planets and blah, 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 blah. Okay. Here's where we, here's where we get to the real good stuff, Jedi Geek Girl. And sorry, guys, if you don't want to jump on the Legends bandwagon, but I guarantee you at least some of this is going to end up in lore. So keep listening. 13 billion years before the Battle of Yavin, an immense cloud of uh, gas and dust collapsed under its own gravity and coalesced to form a revolving disk, creating a galaxy and planets began to form. This is exactly how real galaxies form. So this is like Star Trek stuff, whatever. Here's the important stuff, okay? Jedi Geek Girl, this, this is where I really need you to listen and put in your opinion about whether we can see something like this or at least hear about it because I think this is awesome. 100,000 years BBY, a mysterious race known as the Celestials, dominated the galaxy. Also known as the Architects, this spectacularly powerful race was believed to have been capable of manipulating and moving the very stars themselves. They were believed to have been responsible for building the Corellian system and 15 other star systems. They are responsible for the hyperspace disturbance beyond the edge of the galaxy as a defense against outside interference. They're responsible for the chain of hyperspace anomalies that people travel through, leading to the unknown regions. A number of other races around this time became clients of the Celestials, and they start to introduce all of the races. And around 35,000 BBY, 
the Rakata slave race revolted against the Celestials. And there was a war of extermination uh, declared. And from there on, it's just a bunch of wars and, you know, dominations and so forth. Already bringing in worlds like Coruscant and Corellia, which were very, very old planets as this goes. So what I'm saying is, without reading through this entire thing, and by the way, I'll send you the link, starwars.wikia.com slash wiki slash the underscore galaxy slash legends. You can get all this stuff. It is absolutely phenomenally interesting cosmology, which is what I've been trying to find this entire fucking time, and I finally found it. And I know it's legends that I geek girl, but considering how popular star trek is that they're not only did star trek discovery do well on tv they're launching a number of new star trek series including possibly doing a short reboot of star trek the next generation which is the best one and people love that stuff i don't think it would be the worst thing in the world again with the with the world between the worlds and stuff like that to start working in some Star Trek stuff, but I know people like to separate the two, so I'd love to hear your opinion on this. Oh no, like I said before, you can definitely include it. I just think that you don't want to go completely the whole way. Like having a Star Wars show exactly like Star Trek won't work, but you can still dabble and like you can tell a story that is very Star Trekky as long as it's not Star Trek featuring Star Wars, if that makes any sense. No, it makes absolute sense. And with J.J. Abrams, you have to be concerned about it. Mm-hmm. Even though he's, you know, an avowed Star Wars fan who did the Star Trek movies and did a great job, but he is a Star Wars fan. But the question is, wh- where does the fantasy end and the sci-fi begin and vice versa, I guess is what I'm asking. Uh, I think it is so ingrained into Star Wars. Like, you have so much science fantasy in Star Wars as well as science fiction that I just I don't think you have to separate them. Oh, I was going to say, I think you can have both in Star Wars. I don't think you have to have one or the other. If you look at the second half of the final season of Rebels, they were really introducing a lot of heady ideas that we've not seen before. If you look deeply into The Last Jedi and the stuff I love about The Last Jedi, they're looking into stuff we haven't necessarily seen before. And I think they should embrace that. I, I think they should go to different times, different places, maybe even different galaxies. But when does it stop becoming Star Wars? Oh, that's a really good question. Because I think the question, what is Star Wars, is not a simple question because it's a lot of things. You know what I'm saying? I think the question, what is Star Wars, is a more heavy question than what is Star Trek. I think you can refine what is Star Trek a lot more than you can what is Star Wars. Because I think Star Wars is more diverse and more inclusive and more wide and varied than Star Trek. Yeah, because Star Trek is our future. I mean, our version of our future. Yeah, it's supposed to be. I just want to read you something real quick. Mortis. Can the Force create a place? If so, what would that place be like? Can the Force be personified? If it could, 
How would that behave? Old stories tell of Jedi Masters and Sith Lords who found themselves in a realm that seemed to be an incarnation of the Force itself. This place Mm -hmm. is Mortis. Whispers in ancient legends speak of a world outside of any known system, outside the galaxy and maybe even outside the universe, world between worlds, where the Force convergence into a realm of dreamlike fantasy. Those who find themselves somehow drawn into the realm of Mortis experience a place where the daytime is peaceful and the light itself seems to heal. Tiny luminous creatures cavort in a rolling landscape of green and blue and brown that seem to be the incarnation of life itself. And this all changes when the night comes. So they were exploring this in Mortis way before the world between worlds. Oh, yeah. And honestly, I think Star Wars could actually do a cooler version of space travel, of time travel. They could do a cooler version of all the stuff that Star Trek does, but they have to embrace it and make it their own and not have to worry about making it make total sense from a rational standpoint or a scientific standpoint, but have it make sense within the, like, the same way the 12 parsecs thing makes sense. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, it just has to make sense within the Star Wars mythology. But I don't think a Jedi traveling in time or traveling large distances in the galaxy should be ruled out because it's too Star Trek-y or too Doctor Who-y or whatever. Like, I think they could pull that off, but I may be in the minority about that. Oh, no, I definitely think that you got a point. I do think that your point is valid. I don't know if I necessarily would be on the same side with the conclusion, but you definitely make a good point, and I definitely think it can happen and be valid and be used for good and great storytelling. Uh, I just, I think it should just be careful, and you just don't use that setting just for the sake of it. I think, I definitely think it has potential, but you, you know where I stand on it. I think it's all about storytelling. It's all about don't don't do any of this unless it's for good storytelling. But if it leads to great storytelling, then fucking go for it. Like we saw with World Between Worlds. We we could have gotten a million Ahsoka episodes that would have been great. But the World Between Worlds was specifically great because of how they executed it and the stakes and the characters and so forth. So, okay. So, for the final section here, let us lean back into the main topic, which is Ahsoka, Maul, Obi-Wan, Anakin, etc. Okay. So let's do it. Let's do a quick timeline here for the people. And then we'll talk about it. Okay. Which was initially Ahsoka was just meant to be the Padawan of Anakin Skywalker, who was, let's be honest, made more likable in the Clone Wars series, and by having Ahsoka as a Padawan was made even more likable, and Obi-Wan was made even more complicated with dual Padawans and his relationship with <clears throat> the Duchess Satine. I mean, everyone was made more complicated and more interesting in the Clone Wars, I think. And Ahsoka was the key to all of this. But they realized once people got over not liking her and they started loving her, they really started structuring the entire series around Ahsoka, essentially. And almost all the great episodes have at least some Ahsoka, in my personal opinion, at least in seasons two through five. Yeah, I I would agree with that outside of maybe a couple joy arcs, but yeah. So we've got this young female Jedi and... 
we know what her fate is because Dave Filoni revealed it at Star Wars Celebration 2016 <laughs> in such a dramatic way with drawings and descriptions that it literally made us Ashley Eckstein cry. I mean, she was like crying and emotional when she found out what Ahsoka was supposed to do. And then we got it in the Ahsoka book to a certain point, but they haven't given us any more than that. We know that Ahsoka Tano leaves the Jedi Order by voluntarily and comes back to help them in the Battle of Mandalore shortly before Order 66, helps, if not defeat, then at least trap Darth Maul and get him off the planet after all the horrible things that he did. And then she goes into hiding, and then she meets up with Bail Organa, became, becomes Fulcrum, serves the rebellion through the end of return of the Jedi. And we see her at the end of return of the Jedi Jedi geek girl. If they're not sending up Ahsoka Tano to be a long-term character throughout various media in star Wars for a long time, I don't know who they are. Yeah, it definitely seems like that's what they're doing. Like we talked about this when we did the commentary to the last Rebels episode where Ahsoka is purposely purposely resembles Gandalf. I think that she's probably going to be a very legendary character that connects everything but doesn't interfere like your Emperor, your Obi-Wan, your other main characters. I think she her story will be important but she won't be like a you know what I'm saying. I think Carrie Russell could be Ahsoka. I, I'm hoping not because I have my own casting, but so much more important than Ray's mother is a older female Jedi to help guide Ray in episode nine. Right? Don't you agree with me? Like, wouldn't that be oh. so awesome? No, I, I agree with you 100%. I think if you look at The Last Jedi and The Force Awakens, that's originally what episode nine was going to be about, but that character was. She's had no training. She's had less training than Luke. She's had no training almost. That original character was supposed to be Leia. Leia was supposed to take her to the next step. Uh, but we don't have Kay Fisher with us anymore. So having a character like Ahsoka come in to fill that role makes a lot of sense. Even though I am more the mindset that if you were going to introduce a character like that, you would have to do it maybe from the beginning, but with Carrie Fisher passing, it definitely makes a lot of sense. I can definitely see it happening from that perspective and it would tie everything together. Oh my God, it would tie everything together. Do you think Ahsoka is uh, near, above, slightly below Rey in terms of her importance to young Star Wars fans, especially young female Star Wars fans? Uh, if we're talking about currently young Star Wars fans, I would say that Ray is more visible because she's in a live action film. And if you are a younger fan, if you're just getting introduced to Star Wars, you're going to connect with Ray. But having said that, I think Ahsoka is more connect, more connectable because you you see her character progression through the Clone Wars and Rebels and 
you're able to connect with her more. So while Ray is able to connect with a lot more fans, I think you can connect with Ahsoka a lot deeper, a lot deeper because you see more of her journey. Okay, so here's my challenge to the Siege of Mandalore idea, which you and I have been championing for a long time. But I do have a challenge, which is as depressing and dark as Rogue One gets, and then they even rub it in by having Darth Vader murder a bunch of rebels, at least you get the Death Star plans to Leia at the end. The Siege of Mandalore doesn't end well in any way for anybody. In some ways, it's more depressing. Uh, and so I, I don't know if you can sell that to a fan base that already thought Rogue One was too dark. I think it would work. I do. I really do think it will work. But you would need you would need a a catch. You would need a um you need a hook at the end of the movie. And maybe that's her meeting up with Bail Organa and befriending young Leia, right? I mean there's a lot of ways you could do it, I suppose, but you need that little bit of hope at the end. Uh to to, to make it work. And that's why I think a combination of Ahsoka in the TV shows mixed with the main saga may actually be better. Even though I want to see the Siege of Mandalore visually as much as anybody else, I think in terms of serving the greater story, having Ahsoka keep pop up in both animated and live action TV, but also occasionally in the movies, maybe makes more sense than trying to simulate something that let's be honest it, it is going to be very hard to live up to the expectations or desires that we have for the siege of mandalore you know you make a lot of valid points you that that, that is a, that is a really really good point i think if the siege of mandalore was to be done you need something to hang your hat on at the end of Rogue One, you had Leia getting the Death Star plans. At the end of Episode 3, you had Luke and Leia. You had that hook with the Siege of Mandalore. No matter how awesome that film would be, and it would be freaking awesome, what is engaging the audience to leave them on a positive note? Like, how would you do that? And I think if they would be able to figure that out, I think they could do it, but I can't think of anything because I can give you one. I can give you one idea, which is so. So you know how these movies have been like two hours and fifteen minutes. Yeah. So you actually have the Siege of Mandalore wrap up around an hour forty-five, and then you do a series of time jumps, very well edited and shot with Ahsoka throughout the pre-rebellion, rebellion, and post-rebellion. Like, if I were doing... Like, that's the thing. They're behind the curve. If they could release this pre-Episode 9 and have it lead into her being old Ahsoka in Episode 9, that would be amazing. But there's no way they're pulling that off. No, I I, I think you, you, you got a good point there. I think you could do the Siege of Mandalore and basically do time jumps. Maybe you have live-action clips of the animated TV show. Here's what I was doing. You have a brief glimpse of her fighting Vader and you jump to uh, post-Return of the Jedi or pre-sequel trilogy 
yeah, I, I think that could be a way you could do it. Definitely. I mean, you you've been watching some of the Defender series on Netflix. Yeah. I I feel like a modified version of Claire Temple is very Ahsoka like in terms of advising the characters. I I I really think that you know how the thing that I love about the Ahsoka book is that she spends most of the book trying not to use her powers. To me, that's way more interesting than like how many cool more things can Ahsoka do with her powers? Like, no, she's trying not to use her powers. That's way more interesting. I think her advising Ray in like a Luke-esque way, but even more subtle, would be so memorable that even if that is episode nine, if that's the only live-action Ahsoka we ever get, but it's a really powerful moment of pushing Ray to the next level to save the galaxy, would be so, so memorable. That's, that's what I would be pushing for at this point. You know, full disclosure here. Yeah. I did not subscribe to the idea of Ahsoka 9. I didn't really care for what you were suggesting about Ahsoka. But hearing you talk and expand upon it, you're, you're, you're talking me into you're, you're talking me into it. You're, you're making a lot of sense. You're clarifying your point and how it would be relevant and how it would be equitable and how she makes sense to fit. So... I mean, if Rey is the female Luke Skywalker, but more complicated and more interesting, then Ahsoka is the more complicated and more interesting Obi-Wan to that character. I mean, it's perfect. It's absolutely perfect. I would say Luke, I would actually say that if Luke is Obi-Wan, then Ahsoka can be Yoda. (sighs) Okay, so to end this thing, let's go a bit smaller. Because we've been we've been dreaming big here, so let's go back to Maul and Solo and the underworld and him coming back and blah 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 and Kira. Let's assume for the moment that not only is Disney willing to take the loss on the movie, but they're willing to keep pushing some of these characters because they're so great. What would you like to see come out of the Han Solo movie characters, storyline, narrative, uh, what, what kind of format, more movies, TV shows? Because I know you love Lando. I know you love uh, Chewie. I know you love Kira. I love all of them, too. How can we keep them involved, given what went on? Before we go any further, I want to say, ladies and gentlemen, we just love Star Wars. This is what happens when I we come to the table so with no game plan. There's so much we can talk about Star Wars. We're jumping from Attack of the Clones to The Last Jedi to the galaxy. This is why Star Wars is so freaking awesome. When we are let loose, there is so much we can talk about that we aren't be able to cover our main subject in depth that we want to. But ladies and gentlemen, I love Star Wars. You love Star Wars. There's all getting back to the point of the question. No, no, no. I, I just I want to point out I have like 20 Wikipedia tabs open on my browser here. I'm hoping not to crash my computer because I'm trying to absorb all this amazing information. <laughs> because the exact reason that you just said. Would would you say, uh, to get off topic a little bit here, but would you say that doing the podcast with me has engaged your fandom a little bit more than perhaps it wasn't engaged before? 
Yeah, I, I love the balance that I have because you're the super smart, uh, sl- somewhat younger, hardcore fan. And then I've got Simi, who's just a k- guy my age, who's not like a big nerd, but he loves Star Wars. And I got the Australians who love some of the movies, but aren't big Star Wars fans. Like, I- I've got a great mix of it. But this is why it's the Lurkast. We got our own theme and our own name and everything specifically for this reason. Yes, I love it. But anyways, getting back on track, there are so many ways they can tell stories after Solo. The one thing that I would like, if I had to pick one thing, one non-film thing, is I would like an ongoing comic series revolving around Crimson Dawn slash Kira slash Maul. I think Kira stole the movie, almost. I I honestly, on three or four watches of the movie, and I said this leading up to it, that Amelia Clark was going to be worth the price of admission. But with her interactions with Beckett, with Lando, with Han, with Chewie, with definitely with L3, I thought that... (sighs) The, the, the charisma of Amelia Clark was the thing that it didn't surprise me the most in the movie because I know she's capable, but I knew Aaron Reich was going to be charming and I knew that Lando was going to be great, but the, the Kira role is almost impossible, especially with what happens at the end. And no, I just I, cannot I, heap enough praise on how great her character is. No, I completely agree with you. Kia is a character that I want more with. Obviously, I am in, I'm in love with Lando, but he is an established character. We basically kind of know where he's heading. We kind of yeah. know the person that he is. But Kia is a wide open... Remember when I was talking about Rogue One, how you introduced all these characters, and you were able to... How did I discover them? You were able to grow with them. You were able to experience their journey in a way that you couldn't any other way. Like you could with, like you, you couldn't do that with Han, Chewie, and Lando, but you can do that with Kia. And I think that they have an opportunity there to expand upon a character that can be right up there with well-known characters. I, I think that she did. They have so much potential that they can do with her that I really hope that they follow up with her and they don't throw her away. And to be fair, as much as I love Felicity, Amelia Clark was in the Felicity character before I even knew who Felicity was. And she keeps giving me reasons (laughs) to keep me up on that high pedestal of incredibly beautiful, charismatic, uh, magnetic but subtle a- actresses out there. Um, and I just, honestly, that they haven't signed Felicity. They have, you know, they, they've talked about signing Donald Glover and Aaron Reich. That's great. But you haven't signed Amelia Clark. Like I-, I know they've signed Ray and I know they've signed Kelly Marie Tran and I love them, but they also need to be trying to do stuff with Amelia Clark and Felicity Jones and these actresses, because these actresses have actually been nominated for major awards, which is not an insult whatsoever at the very, very, very young and inexperienced Kelly Marie Tran 
and Daisy Ridley and so forth. But Felicity and Amelia are very experienced actresses and it's interesting that they're agreeing to one movie and not multiple movies as far as we can tell. I can only hope they bring them back in some capacity. Now they have been doing Forces of Destiny, which is great. Um but do you hear me? Oh yeah, I do hear you and I do love like, I mean, they could meet each other. There's a scenario where Felicity Jones and Amelia Clark's characters meet each other in an episode of something. Oh yeah, with without without a doubt. Um, but anyway, what I was saying is, is I love what I love the new stuff. I love what they have been doing, and really enjoying it. But it is my opinion that I do think that they need somebody to guide the story. I think they need a head story master. But isn't that what the story group is for? I mean, this is... I, I get the criticism from both sides. I hear the criticism from people who are like, oh, the story group isn't consistent. They don't know what they're doing. Other people who are like, we need a more strict story group. Like, I don't know what they do. Okay, so what they are doing is they're making sure that everything fits. They're not outlining the story. I'm saying that we need somebody... Like, for example, the sequel trilogy... And the sequel trilogy should have had an overview, like, okay, this kid, you know, like a path and a story, uh, instead of, hey, I'm going to do my film, I do my film, you do your film, and we all connect it together. You know what I'm saying? I don't think that was the problem. I, I honestly think the, the problems with episode seven are similar to the problems of episode four and the problems of episode eight are similar to the problems of episode three, which is pure writing. I don't think there was anything structural wrong with seven or eight. There were just some writing problems in certain spots, but that's going to happen. You know, I mean, so, so you think that we don't need a head storyteller or writer, whatever you want to call it. I think Filoni, I think Filoni, Matt Martin, Ryan Johnson, and a couple other people are playing that part right now. I honestly do. And we're like, like we, we don't have everything right now. I mean, once we got everything in like two or three, five years, it will probably become evident. But, but- that's is the problem is the everything Jedi geek girl. This is, and this is the problem with the idiots out there is they want all the star Wars, but they only want the star Wars they've had. They don't want any new star Wars. They only want the star Wars they've had and they want all of it. And so new star Wars is just adding complications to their stupid lives. And so they don't want it. And this is my problem with canon, is we should just want great storytelling in the Star Wars universe, whether it's canon or not. And I think the debate over canon is exacerbating the debate between the smart Star Wars fans and the idiots, but we're still arguing over canon, essentially. And I think that's exacerbating the problem. That's my personal opinion. No, 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 no. I, I, I think you have a valid point there. I think I think canon status helps structure our universe and story, but at the same token, it can kind of hinder the experience and limit how stories can be told. Uh, yeah, I think if you didn't have, if you were a little bit more lax than canon, I think you would have the ability to tell different and fresh stories that isn't conformed. Okay, so let's 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 uh consolidate's not the right word let's uh let's come together on the final topic here which is the siege of mandalore or whatever right yes so who has agreed to be consistently the best actor in the uh, uh, prequel trilogy 
three movies. Ian McGregor. Oh, Ian McDermott okay. and Ian McGregor. Yes. Okay. Who has agreed to be the greatest bad guy in all of Star Wars and maybe all of film history? In my opinion, it's Palpatine. I know, but you know, the popular choice. Vader. Right. So that's Anakin Skywalker. Who is the character that engaged young people and especially young girls in a period when we thought we were never getting Star Wars again? Ahsoka Tano. Okay. There's your movie. <laughs> That's it. It's a wrap. And you know what? If Kathleen Kennedy is as brilliant as I fucking think she is, they are already working on this. And, and Disney is going to take this loss happily because they're making tons of money on st- movies like The Incredibles and stuff. And they're going to make this movie because people love Obi-Wan. A lot of people love Anakin or at least Vader. Love Ahsoka. You know what I mean? I'm, there's so much going for this film. As long as they don't make it feel like a nostalgia film the way Solo is, I I, I think it's a no-brainer. It definitely has a lot of potential, that's for sure. At the very least. (laughs) Potential? I mean, Ahsoka fighting with the... Oh, my... At at the very least. At the very, very, very least. At the very least. Plus Palpatine. You know, plus maybe some world between world stuff. Plus maybe you bring in some Clone Wars or Rebel stuff. Maybe you bring in Sabine. You know what I mean? Uh, or Hera. I mean, they have all these characters. By the way, they can do all the. Okay, first of all, okay, I'm I'm gonna get on my soapbox for a second. You ready? Yeah, go for it. Vanessa Marshall should play live action uh, Hera. Uh. Sabine should be played by Tia Sarkar. Yeah. I don't care that she's Indian because you know what? Uh, the Mandalorians are very Asian looking. And even if they weren't, who cares? Tia Sarkar is a word nominated actress on television. She's gorgeous. They should just, they should just do it. They should just have these, these actors in, in live action. And the thing is, I love Rebels, and I've come to love the animation style, but if they can work these characters into Jon Favreau's series and into the movies, I I think they're as good as any other characters. Like, for example, like Cassian and Jin are characters that could have been Clone Wars characters or could have been Rebels characters, and I thank God and I'm so happy that they were introduced and fully realized as live action characters. But I, I don't think the Rebels crew, I don't know if you agree with me, I, I think they're every bit as ripe for getting the live action treatment. And with these days with makeup and CGI, you could so do it. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, Freddie Prince Jr., dude, chicks still love Freddie Prince Jr. from back in the day. You could totally make him Kanan. He would rock that shit. Sam Witwer playing Darth Maul. I mean, that's the thing. They have the people at all the right ages for this. I just don't know if they're going to pull the trigger on it. And if if these projects get held up because of bureaucracy and because of we've got this film and we've got this film and we've got this film, that'll be really sad. Um but I don't. I, I I think they do have a master plan. I just hope pe- the American people can hang in there long enough to realize it. So totally off topic here, yeah. but we have somebody in the Star Wars Destiny community 
he kind no, he kind of in the Kinsella Destiny community, but he looks exactly like season one and two of Kanan. And guess what his first name is? Caleb. Yep. Which is what I want to name my uh, son, but I uh, I would name mine Luke. Middle name Sky. I just want daughters because I have so many great <laughs> female names for my daughters. <sighs> I got Jen, I got Sabine, I got Kira, I got so many. <laughs> oh, I, I have names for days for cats. I want to get a white cat and a dog. I want to get like three cats. I want to get like a white cat and call her Ahsoka, a black cat, call her Afra, and get an orange cat and call her, what was I going to call her? Like Jenna Ray, or maybe, or Mara, I could name her Mara. Or, but yeah, we're getting off topic, but yeah, you know. No, it's totally on topic. Yeah, I mean, I think part of the reason I want to have a daughter and name her Jen is because I want her to be like Jen, you know? That's exactly what I want my daughter to be like. Um, I mean, we, we talked about this with the hologram scene. Is The second she gets a sniff that he's alive, it's like single-mindedness. To try and save him and save the galaxy, which is exactly what you want, you know, in a child of, of any gender. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, it'll be really interesting to see to see how these things go. I, I don't buy these rumors that they're stopping the standalone movies, but as I've said, as I said in my podcast with Tim Jurassi, if they're really going to throw money and time at Boba Fett, I, I'm going to start losing hope because he's one of the least important and interesting characters out there. But apparently, a lot of old school fans like him, so I don't know what to say. It was already confirmed that those rumors were dismissed about those films being canceled. Do you really think they'll do a Boba Fett movie after Han Solo made no money? Uh, honestly, I don't know. I know that Kenobi is like 80% at the absolute least happening. Uh, I think that that's but, going but- through. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I think at the very least it made them question a Boba Fett film. But think, think about the alternatives here. Okay. I don't think Boba Fett is relevant in today's fandom with all due respect. I don't know if it would be successful. Well, that's my Boba Fett test. I've, t- I've been talking about this constantly. It's the first thing I ask p- people I'm suspicious of their fandom and nostalgia. I ask them about Boba Fett. But let's put it this way. If Boba Fett loses to Han Solo, it just shows how worthless he is and what a mistake it is. But if the Boba Fett movie beats Han Solo, then... Th- I don't know what that says about Star Wars fans. So I, I can't see that ending up positively in either direction. I just think that they should tell stories instead of character studies when it comes to their films. If that makes when, when I'm talking about character studies, I'm talking about Han Solo. When I'm talking stories, I'm talking Rogue One. You know what I'm saying? I, I am going to bet, while it may not climb your list... On taking time off and then watching it on Blu-ray or whatever, I do think you will like Han Solo more on future viewings. And that's not me. That's not me like putting myself like, oh, you need to like it more because I've admitted all the flaws of that movie. But it's very entertaining and the characters are great. And just as an entertaining movie, 
for me at least, I'll just speak for myself, I could see that being a movie I rewatch a lot just for entertainment's sake. Well, I, I said this before, I do enjoy it, I do like it, I do find myself turning it on because, you know, it's a fun story, but that doesn't mean I have to go up my list, it doesn't mean I have to, you know, be crazy in love with it. I can enjoy a film and enjoy watching it without, you know, ranking it high against other movies that I thoroughly enjoy. Oh, I have to I have to ask you about this, by the way, because... You said Rogue One was in your top four, but then you had it as number five when you did the list. So it's kind yeah, of confused. Yeah, that, that, that was me saying one thing when I meant to say another. That, 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 was my, that was my brain and mouth not thinking up. That happens sometimes. So? It's still number five after the other four. Okay. I love those other four, so I, I, can't, I can't really argue. Uh, I just wanted to get a clear answer on that, but... My okay, so here's my my final thought, and I'll give you final thought, and we'll wrap this up. And this was a totally over the top and super enthusiastic rambling podcast, which is exactly what I wanted. (laughs) So thank you. My final thought is Ahsoka has been the glue of Star Wars for about thirteen years now, or twelve years. And I don't see why they would stop it. I would think they would pick it up in a tasteful but very noticeable way, whether it's Rosario Dawson, where it's Carrie Russell, whether it's whoever. I, I think you push Ahsoka to be the Yoda or the Obi-Wan of the new generation. It seems like a no-brainer to me on every level. She's a cooler fighter than them. She looks cooler than them. She's more interesting than them. She's smarter and wiser than them. It seems clear that Ahsoka is the one to unite the clans, as they say, in, in Braveheart, uh, w- would be my final thought. So you go ahead. I want to say, before I conclude this episode, I'm going to say what I'm going to say, and then I'm going to throw it to you, and then I'm going to wrap up. But what I want to say is, I agree with you 100%. I think Ahsoka is so beloved by fans that Lucasfilm has a character that they could turn into that Yoda, and I don't want to say do right, but do different. When we had, when we were first introduced to Yoda, we were introduced to this mythical mm. figure who it, they worked backwards to tell the story. With Ahsoka, we have seen her from a young Padawan grow up and learn and evolve and become quote the white Gandalf that she can not only become this generation's Yoda, but she can become the Yoda that we have built up. I think Lucasfilm should do it smart, and I do think that they have to include her somehow in their film franchise. I think I want to see it. You want to see it. Ahsoka is the character that transcends generations like no other character besides Kenobi. Um, Do it. We want to see it. Do it smart. Take your time. I'm willing to wait 10 years, but... No. Yeah. Not going to happen. Not going to take 10 years. And by the way, Yoda, 600 years, 800 years, 1,000 years, whatever. He's still learning what it means to be a light side Jedi who's not, uh, or a light side force user who's not a strict Jedi. Ahsoka gets it implicitly as a child, essentially, because of how wise she is. All I'm saying is, is I would like to do it. I would like them to do it right. I don't think they should rush into it. 
That's what all I'm saying. Right, right. And so the question is, if they are a competent film company, which even with Solo, we think they still are, they must have been talking and planning about the possibility of doing this for years now. If uh, is what I'm trying to say. I don't know. I've been trying to say this over and over again in different ways. I don't know if it's been making sense. But if Lucasfilm is just starting to try and figure out how to work Ahsoka in, then that shows weakness and a flaw in the company. I think they're way smarter than that between Filoni, Kennedy, Martin, Hidalgo, etc., Ryan Johnson, and I think they've been building up to it, and that's why they put Maul. I think Maul is Maul in in Solo is a direct reference to Obi-Wan and Ahsoka more than it is to himself, if that makes sense, is the way I interpreted it, but... No, I, I definitely see where you're coming from. And I do think that they are quote-unquote smarter than that. But we ain't privy to that conversation. We're sitting here consuming the content and watching it. Yeah, we hear things here and there, but we aren't there. We don't know. But I am fully So what are you saying? This is a bullshit podcast? Is that what you're <laughs> No, I, I'm saying that I am, I am 100% certain that they have talked about it. And it probably has been on the table. If it's not already on the table and in motion um i'm just excited because i'm a fan and as this podcast has proven we have a lot to talk about on star wars so well well well, well, hold on hold on before you give your final word let me just rephrase this one more way which is if they don't realize a live action ahsoka I won't be disappointed because there's no live-action Ahsoka. I'll be disappointed because they're not as smart as I've been giving them credit for. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I I think that is very valid. And we saw Togruta in episode two, and she looked great, and Ahsoka looks even better, so let's do it. Yeah, Shakati. Yes. All right, Jedi Geek Girl, uh, drop some knowledge on us. You can find me at iRebel.com destiny.com you can find my podcast via any podcasters just basically search i rebel hyphen a star wars destiny podcast you can find me on twitter at jedi geek girl or you can send me an email at i rebel destiny at gmail.com this has been the lord cast presented by the bizzle cast and may the force be with you always